Chapter 3 of The Side of the Angels by Basil King. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter 3 Thor was deaf to these enigmatic words in the excitement of perceiving that the girl had beauty. The discovery gave him a new sort of pleasure as he turned his runabout toward the town. Beauty had not hitherto been a condition to which he attached great value. If anything, he had held it in some scorn. Now, for the first time in his emotional life, he was stirred by a girl's mere prettiness, a quite unusual prettiness, it had to be admitted, a slightly haggard prettiness, perhaps, a prettiness a little warm by work, a little coarsened by wind and weather, a prettiness too desperate for youth and too tragic for coquetry, but for those very reasons doubtless all the more haunting. He was obliged to remind himself that it was nothing to him, since he had never swerved from the intention to marry Lois Willoughby as soon as he made a start in practice and come into the money he was to get at thirty. But he could see it was the sort of thing by which other men might be affected, and came to a mental standstill there. Driving on to the city, he went straight to his father's office in Commonwealth Row. It was already after four o'clock, and except for two young men sorting cheques and putting away ledgers, the cage-like divisions of the banking department were empty. One of the men was whistling. The other was calling in a loud, gay voice, "'Say, Cheever, what about tonight?' Signs that the enforced decorum of the day was past. Claude was in the outer office reserved for customers. He wore his overcoat, hat, and gloves. A stick hung from his left arm by its crooked handle. The ticker was silent, but a portion of the tape fluttered between his gloved fingers. Though his back was toward the door, he recognised his half-brother's step with that mixture of envy and irritation which Thor's presence always stirred in him. He was not without fraternal affection, especially when Thor was away. When he was at home it was difficult for Claude not to resent the elder's superiority. Claude called it superiority for want of a better word, though he meant no more than a combination of advantages he himself would have enjoyed. He meant Thor's prospective money, his good spirits, his good temper, and good health. Claude had not good health, which excused, in his judgment, his lack of good spirits and good temper. Neither had Claude any money beyond the fifteen hundred dollars a year he earned in his father's office. He was in the habit of saying to himself, and in confidence to his friends, that it was damned hard luck that he should be compelled to live on a pittance like that, when Thor, within a few months, would come into a good thirty thousand a year. It was some consolation that Thor was what his brother called an ugly beast, sallow and lantern-jawed, with a long, narrow head that looked as if it had been sat on. The eyes were not bad, that had to be admitted. They were as friendly as a welcoming light. But the mouth was so big and aggressive that even the moustache Thor was trying to grow couldn't subdue its boldness. As for the nose and chin, they looked, according to Claude's account, as if they had been created soft and subjected to a system of grotesque elongation before hardening. Claude could the more safely make a game of his brother's looks, seeing that he himself was notably handsome, with traits as regular as if they had been carved, and a profile so exact that it was frequently exposed in photographers' windows to the envy of gentlemen gazers. While Thor had once tried to mitigate his features by a beard that had been unsuccessful and had now disappeared, Claude wouldn't disfigure himself by a hair. 
he was as clean-shaven as a marble Apollo, and not less neatly limbed. "'Gone!' Cole raised his eyes just long enough to utter the world. The four came to an abrupt stop. "'Club?' "'Suppose so,' he added, without raising his head. "'Wish to God the drunken sort would stay there!' He continued, while still apparently reading the tape in his hand. "'Father wishes it, too.' Thor was not altogether taken by surprise. Ever since his return from Europe, a year earlier, he had wondered how his father's patience could hold out. He took it that there was a reason for it, a reason he had once expressed to Claude. "'Father can't wish it. He can't afford to.' Claude lifted his handsome, rather insolent face. "'Why not?' "'For the simple reason that he's got his money.' "'Much you know about it. Lim Willoughby hasn't enough money left in two good amassments to take him on a trip to Europe.' Thor backed towards the receiving teller's wicket, where he rested the tips of his elbows on the counter. He was visibly perturbed. "'What's become of it, then?' "'Don't ask me. All I know is what I'm telling you.' "'Did father say so himself?' "'Not in so many words, but I know it.' He tossed the tape from him and began to smooth his gloves. "'Father means to ship him.' "'Ship him? He can't do that.' "'Can't. I should like to know why not.' "'Because he can't, that's why. Because he has—' "'Yes, cough it up. Speak if you have something up your sleeve.' Thor reflected as to the wisdom of saying more. "'Well, I have,' he admitted. "'It's something I remember from the time we were kids. You were too young to notice. But I noticed, and I haven't forgotten. Father can't ship Lem Willoughby without being sure he has enough to live on.' He decided to speak out, if for no other reason than that of securing Claude's cooperation. Father persuaded Mr. Willoughby to put Mrs. Willoughby's money into the business when he didn't want to. "'Oh, shucks!' Claude exclaimed contemptuously. "'He did,' Thor insisted. "'It was back in 1892, in Paris, that first time they took us abroad. "'You were only nine, and I was twelve. "'I heard them. I was hanging round one evening in that little hotel we stayed at in the Rue de Rivoli. "'The Hotel du Massin, wasn't it? "'The Willoughby's had been living in Paris for five or six years, and father got them to come home. "'I heard him ask mother to talk it up with Mrs. Willoughby.' Mother said she didn't want to, but father got round to her, and she agreed to try. She said, too, that Bessie might be willing, because Len had already begun to take too much, and it would brace him up if he got work to do. Work? Claude sniffed. Him? Father knew he couldn't work, knew he'd tried all sorts of things. First to be an artist, then to write, then to get into the consular service, and the Lord knows what. It wasn't his work that father was after. It was just when the Too Good Estate withdrew old Mr. Too Good's money— father had to have more capital. Well, then Willoughby didn't have any. No, but his wife had. Came to the same thing. Suppose she must have had between three and four hundred thousand from old man Brand. I remember hearing father say to mother that Lem was making ducks and drakes of it as fast as he could, and that it might as well help the firm of too good a masterman as to go to the deuce. Can still hear father feeding the poor fool with bluff about the great banker he'd make, and how it was the dead loss of a fortune that he hadn't had a seat on the stock exchange years before? Claude sniffed again. You'd better carry your load to father himself. I will if I have to. Before Claude had found a rejoinder, Thor went on, changed the subject abruptly, so as not to be led into being indiscreet. Say, Claude, do you remember Fay, the gardener? 
Claude was still smoothing his gloves, but he stopped, with the thumb and fingers of his right hand grasping the middle finger of the left. More than ever his features suggested a marble stoniness. No. Oh, but you must. You used to be Grandpa Thorry's gardener. Has the greenhouses on father's land, north of the pond? Claude recovered himself slightly. Well, what about him? Been to see his wife, patient of Uncle Sims. Turned her on to me. They're having the deuce of a time. Claude recovered himself still more. He looked at his brother curiously. Well, what's he got to do with me? Nothing directly. Well, then, indirectly? Claude asked, defiantly. Only this, that it has to do with both of us, since it concerns father. Claude was by this time master of himself. Look here, Thor, are you getting a bee in your bonnet about father? Oh, good Lord, no. But father's immersed in business. He can't be expected to know how all the details of his policy work out. He's not young any longer, and he isn't in touch with modern social and economic ideas. Oh, stow the modern social and economic ideas, and let's get to business. What's up with this family of—what do you call ems? With his feet planted firmly apart, Claude swung his stick airily back and forth across the front of his person, though he listened with apparent attention. You know, Thor, as a matter of fact, he explained, when the latter had finished his account, that the kindest thing Father can do for Fay is to let him peter out. Fay thinks that Father and the lease are the obstacles he's up against, when in reality it's the whole thing. Oh, so you do know about it? Claude saw his mistake and righted himself quickly. Yes, now that you, that you speak of it, I, I do it. It comes back to me. I've heard Father mention it. And what did Father say? Just what I'm telling you, that the lease isn't the chief factor in Fay's troubles. Isn't really a factor at all. Poor old fellow's a dunderhead. That's where it is, in a nutshell. Never could make a living. Never will. Remember him? Vaguely. Haven't seen him for years. Well, when you do see him, you'll understand. Nice old chap has ever lived. Only impractical, dreamy. Gentle as a sheep, and no more capable of running that big, expensive plant than a motherly old ewe. That's where the trouble is. When father's closed down on him and edged him out, Quietly, you understand. It'll be the best thing that ever happened to them all. Thor reflected. I see that you know more about it than you thought. You know all about it. Again, Claude caught himself up, shifting his position adroitly. Oh, no, I don't. Just what I've heard father say. When you spoke of it at first, the name slipped my memory. Thor reverted to the original theme. The son's in jail. Did you know that? But Claude was again on his guard. Oh, so there's a son. Son about your age. Matt, his name is. Surely you must recall him. He used to pick peas with us when Fade let us do it. Claude shook his head silently. And there's a girl. Claude's stick hung limply before him. His face and figure resumed their stony immobility. Oh, is there? Plain? No, pretty. Very pretty. Very unusually pretty. Come to think of it, I wouldn't mind saying, yes, I will say it, she's the prettiest girl I've ever seen. The eyes of the two brothers met. Bar none. A smile on Claude's lips might have passed for an expression of brotherly chaff. Go it, old chap, seem smitten. Uh, it isn't that, nothing of the sort at all. I speak of her only because I'm sorry for her. Brunt of whole things come on her. Well, what do you propose that we should do? I haven't got as far as proposing. 
I haven't thought the thing out at all. But I think we ought to do something, you and I. We can't do anything without father, and father won't. He simply won't. They'll have to go. Good things, too, that's what I say. Get them all on a basis on which they can manage. They'll find a job with one of the other growers. Yes, but what's to become of the girl? Claude stared with a kind of bravado. How the devil do I know? She'll do the best she can, I suppose. Go into a shop. Lots of girls go into shops. Thor studied his brother with mild curiosity. You're a queer fellow, Claude. A minute ago you couldn't remember Fay's name, and now you've got his whole business at your fingers' ends. But Claude repeated his explanation. Got father's business at my fingers' ends, if that's what you mean. In such big affairs, chap like Fay, only a detail. Couldn't recall him at first, but once I caught on to him. By moving away toward the inner office, where Chuva was still at work, Claude intimated that, as far as he was concerned, the conversation was ended. Thor returned to his runabout. "'Say, Claude,' Cheever called, "'coming to see the champion tonight, ain't you? Counting on you!' Claude laid a friendly hand on Cheever's arm. He liked to be on easy terms with his father's clerks. "'Awfully sorry, Billy, but you must excuse me. Fact is, that damn fool brother of mine has been putting his finger in my pie. Got to do something to get it out, and do it quick. Awfully sorry. Shan't be free.' End of chapter 3